0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, High Performance Coach and Breathwork Facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the show. Thank you for being here. I am here along with my co-host at this point. She's been showing up (laughs) basically every week, (laughs) Jessica Haley. She brings all the sunshine and smiles and uh, good vibes. And we're also joined by Omid Zabet. Super excited to have you, Omid, and to jump into this conversation. Omid is the founder and president of Positive Movement Foundation, as well as the managing partner of Five Marketing and Management out there in San Diego living Mm -hmm. it up. And um, we wanted to have you on the show to like talk about all the things that you're up to, but also you've got a specific expertise and perspective and outlook that I'm, I'm super excited to get to know more about when it comes to just auditing your business, auditing your life, and understanding really what's working, what's not working so that we can live and work at optimal states and peak performance. But before we get into all that, I just wanna say thanks for being here and uh, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
3: <laughs> so, Owen's been a dear friend of mine for about a decade, and I've watched all of the beautiful things that he has built. Uh, all the thoughts that he's turned to things, all of the impact that he has made. And I'm really, really excited about this conversation. When I first met Omid about a decade ago, we had been doing a a lot of the same personal development. The language that we used was very similar in a lot of ways. But what I appreciate about Omid, and I have appreciated this about him since the day I met him, is that he holds me to a certain standard and he holds me accountable. And he is one of the best mirrors that I've ever had to show me my blind spots and to just be very real and not let me play small. So I know that this conversation is going to be a really, really fun conversation with his background of, you know, coaching and consulting and doing a lot of beautiful things with helping be a catalyst for transformation for people, but also what he's gone and done in business is, is really um, incredible. And I'm so excited to kind of dive in deeper to those processes and those different tangible things that we can all take away and and really apply. So Omid, so stoked, my friend, so stoked. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go.
1: I just got a shout out. I mean, any guy that has a a t-shirt in the back that says be a good human is like, that's how I know we have the right guy on the show because this is, this is what we're all trying to learn how to be better versions of ourselves. And I think that's one of the things from what I've heard, like you do really well is, is bring that out by creating processes and systems for us to to follow, whether that's in our business or in our life. And one place I just want to get started with you, because I know as a founder, as a managing partner, as somebody who's been both in corporate and entertainment and in the nonprofit sector, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot. And as Jess mentioned, you've you've taken thoughts and you've turned them into things and you help other businesses and, and business owners do that too. One thing that you do around consulting is going into organizations and helping them to find out what their blind spots are, identify what's not working, and create processes to fix that, to adapt that. Before that, I just want to talk about the culture that we create in our businesses, in our lives, in our communities. What do you define as culture as it pertains to corporate culture or uh, the culture within our organizations? Like, What does culture mean to you?
2: Yeah, fantastic question. So I think everyone's got a different interpretation. For me, is company culture inspires workers to achieve their best. So you know, as a one-liner, that's simply it. That like when people step in, they're stepping into their excellence. They're bringing their best. They're motivated. They're inspired. That's culture. How you want to micro define that is up to you. Mm -hmm. But high level, that's how I see it. Is that you're creating inspiration, motivation excitement, joy, and really healthy, a healthy environment, safe environment. I can keep going and going, but we'll stop there.
1: Well, yeah, I think we've all been probably in an experience or worked for a company that had good culture and probably not so good culture. I know personally I have, I think back on my corporate experience, my first job out of college and the culture at that organization was far different than some of the other companies that I've worked for and then the the culture that I try to create here at Coachable in my own life. One thing I've heard, and I really like this definition, is that if you ask founders, if you ask the president or the CEO of a company what their culture is like, they might say one thing, but I'm sure that you found this. Like If you ask their employees and people that work for them, they might explain it or describe it completely differently. And from the employee's side, I like to think about it as the culture is how it feels to work for you, or the culture of your friends, the culture of your relationships. How does it feel to be your friend? That's the culture that you're creating. <laughs> and with that, like kind of lens around it, I think it gives us an opportunity for self reflection of like, what is the culture that. I am creating or the environment that I'm creating in my business and in my life? And how are the people that come into my environment experiencing it? What is your take on that?
2: Yeah, I think you put it really well, I would add to that, that as an employee, you want to feel valued. And you want to feel like, uh, you know, you're bringing something to the table. Uh, And I'll back up for a second and say, certainly, I haven't always been a great leader, right? Like, There's been times that I wasn't great at what I do or created a great company culture. I think as we grow, if we're not willing to look at those things and make those pivots and changes, then we'll stay the same. And I've certainly done that. And I continue to do that in my businesses is to be able to go back and say, all right, where am I today versus where I was? Have we stopped evolving? Are we continuing to evolve or do we need to go back to the conversation or the um, pen and paper. So it's not something that, you know, there's certainly plenty of great company cultures that become toxic over time, right? Mm-hmm. We see it all the time. The money, you know, their culture is kind of built around money and the things that they're giving their employees in terms of perks. And then once those things go away, if there's no true value and connection. When the money goes away, the company culture goes away. So being aware of those things is really important. Uh, and also knowing that where we are today isn't necessarily where we get to be tomorrow. We can always excel and exceed as long as we're willing to look within.
1: Well, I think that's the key. I think a lot of times like we, we start a company or start a, a project that we're working on with an intention or a vision, and we have an idea of what our values are and how we want to run and operate that project or that company. But, sometimes we get off track, right? I, I worked for a company once and I was like the welcoming committee. Everybody, when we hire new people, I was the one that onboarded you. I talked about all the company values and why you just made the best decision of your life to say yes to this company. And what I found as in that role was a lot of times I was talking about our values and you would see them plastered on like in the office and that kind of thing. But so often- the policies and the way things ran actually weren't reflective of what we said we were really about. I, I imagine that might be somewhere that you come in or an area in which somebody might say, hey, there's a discrepancy here. There's a gap between what our people are experiencing and what we say we want to create. Can Omid, can you come in and help us? Like, can you talk about some of the reasons like, what is that framework that you use when you go into an organization and try to help them?
2: Yeah, I, I love to not go in with a specific framework because then I'm, I'm kind of uh, bowling alley rails limited to what I'm going in to create. I need to go in open to be able to listen, be able to assess, truly understand. Uh, and that just doesn't come from talking to the leader. Because again, the leader could have a different perception of what's working or not. Conversations can initiate in a couple of ways. One is typically a breakdown, right? There's something that's happened. There's an employee revolt or something that can't be ignored, right? It's kind of like if you break your arm, there's an emergency. you got to take care of it, right? The
1: pain, the pain is the motivator.
2: That's right. Other elements, which is very rare, is like, okay, we realized we've gotten to where we are today. And it's going to take something different to get us to the next stage. And that difference might need to be an outside perspective because it's going be something that we can't see ourselves. So that's really like a proactive leader approach um, because most leaders are too busy, right? If it's not broken, they don't want to fix it. But that's really the best way to get to the next cut. If, I'm a huge analogy person. So if, if I'm working out at the gym and I see like I've plateaued, right? It might be time to either change trainers or get a trainer or change my habits. And so it applies in the same way when it comes to business.
1: Yeah, it's like that idea of like, what got us here isn't going to take us there Right um, approach. And I think that that's a really good way to see it. It's like this proactive approach, like you can choose to seek out mentorship or, or consultants or an, another way of adapting and thinking about the next stage. Or you can do it from a reactive space where it's like something's broken down. It's like, if you don't get your oil changed in your car and you wait until your car is breaking down to go do it you could have had so much more efficiency you could have so much more prolonged like life in that than if you like if you'd taken the proactive approach but I think in my experience as a business owner over the last couple of years one of the things I realized I've had to balance is working in my business as opposed to working on my business right. um Because for me, when I'm working in my business, my head's down, I'm focused on what's just like the day to day, what's the next thing I have to do. Whereas working on it allows me to zoom out and see about the bigger picture. Are we still moving in the same direction like we intended? Are we are we doing the things that we talk about doing? And working on that next stage and the next level, as opposed to just where we're at and kind of had your head down and you don't look up or breathe. When you do, you finally look around, you're like, oh, shoot, like this isn't
2: where we want to be. 100%. Yeah. I, I think to add to that, I think there's this perception that getting support or coaching is kind of a weakness, right? And, you know, I always go to Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan had coaches. They had shooting coaches, they had drill coaches, they had weightlifting coaches. No one's a better basketball player than Jordan or Kobe. There is no coach that's better than them. However, that coach provides outside perspective and feedback that they're not able to see from where they stand. Mm -hmm. And so they're able to continue to grow from that outside perspective. And so when it comes to leaderships and their companies, I'm not going to go in and be better at making money in their business than they are. That is what they're good at. That is what they're, they've done. That is who they be. It's simply focusing in on an area that they need support in that they may have not been able to provide attention to.
3: Mm -hmm. That's it. And and I think you hit the nail on the head. It's we can't see the picture when we're in the frame. So a lot of times we wait until there's a breakdown to then go figure out what's going on instead of the approach of slowing down to speed up and actually celebrating and creating new things like having, you know, a team meeting and and celebrating the wins of what's going right. And then also creating things in a way that's going to serve the greater evolution of where we're going as well. But I, it takes for, for me hearing this, like from the outside, you know, kind of putting myself in the shoes of being in leadership roles then being in consulting roles, being in roles where I'm going in and actually helping certain people be in the right roles because they're they're hired for the wrong thing like they're not in the right role like at all and I'm watching them like. Their like soul shrivel up because they're being asked to do things that are not serving them. I've also been in that position too, where people are throwing me into things that are just not my skill set or right. the things that light me up like a Christmas tree, and and then I'm over here just like you know. And so I, it, there's a there's a lot that goes into building that culture, and then there's there's a lot of putting your ego aside, a lot of listening and yeah. being open to feedback and then turning around and have creating a safe environment for people to actually one express, but two know that they're, able to express and then something actually is going to happen from that it's never going to be used against them later there's all of this trust that has to be built around that and then consistency to to keep that trust because it takes so long to build that trust and then it takes nothing to lose it and this is where people are spending majority of their lives around these people and this amount of time of their life and so i mean when it comes to our our workplace and our our work environment or the the company culture in general, like there's so much that, will make or break somebody's life experience because they are either dreading showing up or they are excited to show up. And we already know that our perception of reality is based on our emotional state. So we're going in and we're working different. And you grow the people, you grow the business. If, if the CEO really understands that and then really focuses on building that, um, you know, it'll change the game. But there's all of these different elements and dynamics that go into that, that a lot of leaders they don't have the experience or the know-how to even, they're just unaware of how to, you know, help and show up in those ways. So what are some of those things that you have been able to, you know, kind of go in and see that they're able to see and then things that you're able to implement that you've seen that sustainable lasting change after you've kind of gone in and kind of shine the light in certain places? Yeah, it sounds like that first step you, you mentioned was that like assessment
1: piece. Yeah. So when you go in and do the assessment, what are some of those challenges companies are facing, founders are facing? And then what are some of the things that you've had them implement as a result?
2: Sure. And just to back up real quick, I want to retouch on something you touched on. We spend a lot of time with people we work with. And sometimes people take for granted that you spend more time with them than your wife at times or your kids or your parents. But the emotional investment in getting to know those people has kind of been something overlooked or frowned upon in the work environment. Building connections is so important. Personal wins are so important. Now, as we jump to your question, the first is the leaders have to buy in, that they're willing to look at whatever feedback and assessment comes in. Like, why am I here? Right? If I'm here to boost your ego and tell you you're doing a great job, hire someone else. But if you're willing to really get to the truth, are you willing to hear the truth and not let the truth negatively impact you and just simply take it as working, not working, right? You touched on that at the start of the conversation. The beauty of working versus not working is that it's not emotional. It's completely neutral. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just is. This is what's not working for me. And it also pertains to relationships. If you use that language when it comes to a relationship, hey, this is what's not working for me in our relationship. It's got a different tone. It it lands differently. It it allows a space for a conversation uh, as opposed to you're not doing this good or yada, yada. So if the foundation is there, they're willing to be open to have this conversation. What's their why behind this initial interaction? Mm -hmm. From there, it's okay, let's create an assessment and evaluation survey. And that's who are your captains or who is next in line for you? Who is your, what's your org chart look like? Right. you willing to ask these questions. We'll come up with specific questions that pertain to their environment. Anonymous, because as an employee, guess what? Yes. All of a sudden there's a change and your boss is asking you for feedback, which he's never done before. What are you worried about? Some sort of retribution, right? So no, it has to be anonymous. And there has to be some framework around why the questions are being asked because it just can't come out of left field. Once you have that information, now it's taking ownership. And ownership as a leader is you are 100% responsible for everything from A to Z. Whether you touch it impacted or not, as the leader, you have to take ownership. And so when you take ownership, you also have to sometimes apologize, right? And, you know, take responsibility, whether it's with an individual employee, with the overall company, whatever it may be. And again, if the leader has not bought into that from the beginning, that's going to be very hard for them to do at that point, right? Because those conversations are what? Uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. and But we have to be willing. What's your why? Why are you here? Once you're able to take responsibility and apologize if necessary and commit to what you want to create moving forward, Now you move into the next phase, create and implement, but you don't create. It's a co-creation. It is now a co council What works for the employees? What works as a group? You do a lot more listening than talking. It's 80% listening, 20% talking. Okay. If this is not working, how would it work if you were in charge? So you start getting information from different sides. Okay. How do you see this working if this is working why is it working right you're curious you're not judgmental you're not angry at how the fuck is this not working right that's a different context of if it worked what would it look like it's very open-ended conversations but it comes from creating safety creating a buy-in from the organization that this is where we want to go i've seen our scores i'm shocked i take full responsibility I would like to get us to a 10 out of uh, you know, a scale of one to 10. I'd like to get us to a 10 in the next two years. Are you guys willing to help me get there? Can we get there together, right? It is a we thing. It's not a me thing. And then you'll start to really observe, okay, maybe I do have one or two toxic employees that are creating this toxic environment, right? Take the analogy of a drop of ink into a clear cup of water. It clearly stains the whole cup. It may not just be an org thing. It might just be a staff or a role person that's playing a part in that. So we just get to look at everything holistically.
1: Yeah. I think to that point, Nick Saban, when I think about high-performing teams, like I'm from Alabama, I always think about Alabama football. And one of the things he says is like part of getting people to buy in the vision and get where you want to go is you've got to get the right people on the bus in the right seats and get the wrong people off the bus so that's definitely part of it absolutely and I think I want to really just touch on and come back to what you said about personal responsibility this morning I posted something on my story that said the best way to gain respect is to take personal responsibility uh, like if you want to be respected as a leader as a human being be willing to take responsibility because we live in a culture so often where we're just looking for somebody else to blame and somebody else and all the reasons and excuses for why we are in the position that we're in or why things aren't going the way we want or why we didn't hit our quota or why, you know, our bottom line is what it is. And that is, in my opinion, like that's the easy route that allows for you to never have to change.
2: 100%. 100%. And do
1: anything
2: differently. 100%. And blame versus responsibility is actually a segment that I have a conversation about a lot um, with leaders, right? Because blame is so easy. The moment you blame, you have zero responsibility. It is not your fault. You have no reason to change. And so, even take uh, you're late to an appointment. Uh, I know Jess, my dear, loves not being on time. (laughs) I don't (laughs) love it. It just happens. But what? She owns it. (laughs) She owns it. Thank you for your patience. I'm here. But some people, you know, blame the traffic the moment they walk in the room. Oh, my God. There was so much traffic. I couldn't find parking. Right? As opposed to taking ownership of, hey, you could have left 15 minutes earlier. Right? That's, apologies. I'm late to the meeting. Sorry for not respecting your times. I'm here now. Is it okay if we proceed forward? That's responsibility, right? So much respect.
3: Like just what you just said, just owned the room like that. Well,
1: cause you're one acknowledging what everybody else is thinking. yeah, <laughs> And two, you are recogn- like recognizing the value of the time and the space that you're in with people. And I think, The best apology, though, is changed behavior.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So what can't happen, whether it's in friendships, in business, whatever, is is leaders coming in and saying, I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to say this is on me and things are going to change and then nothing changes.
2: Right. No, 100%. I mean, responsibility by my definition is taking ownership and willing to make committed change. Right. Right. You know, what you can expect from me moving forward is I will be on time. And that doesn't mean that accidents don't happen, right? We're human beings. People are people. Things happen. But we also create habits and people create perceptions of us based on our habits and how we show up. So, yes, if a leader, for example, has been a dick for five years and comes in and says, hey, beginning tomorrow, expect a change in my behavior, It's going to take time before the employees actually buy in and believe it. So just because you say it doesn't mean that immediately five years of who you've been has been wiped off their memory. That's the other part that people get to accept is that, yes, you can take ownership, but until you actually show that you're changing and that the habits are being changed, people may not trust you.
1: I mean, that that whole idea of trust is... So it's the foundational piece of whether or not people will buy in. If I don't trust my leader, then I have to protect myself. I have to look out for my best interest because I don't believe the person that's in the driver's seat will. And so now it, everything's a competition. Now every, it's, I'm looking out for me, not for the, for the team, not for the greater good. And that creates this dynamic within organizations and relationships friend groups, whatever, where it's like, now you've got people in the corner that have alliances and you've got these people talking about this and you've got uh, other people that aren't showing up in their highest light and version of themselves because they don't feel safe. Uh, they don't feel protected. They don't feel like their voice matters or that they're valued in that way. And so trust is, is so critical. I worked as a consultant for a law firm. First year I was in business for myself they had been a corporate client for a while and then they hired me uh, to come in and work with their with their high performance their high potentials that they were were on partner track and what they wanted me to do was they had this prototype this ver- this this high performing associate and they were like can you make everyone like her <laughs> right uh, can can you just duplicate what she does which is the way she works how much she's willing to work can you duplicate that and one of the things in that conversation I was sitting with the managing partner and I was sitting with this uh this associate who they wanted me to sort of uh, help replicate uh in the culture and the people that they were wanting me to work with and I asked them this question I said okay how are your associate uh, associates evaluated on their performance how often and what does that look like I, I, I kind of said it to both of them. And then I looked at the managing partner and he looks at, at, at the associate and he was like, I want you to tell, to answer that question. And she's like, I want you to answer that question because they had completely different answers. So different. It was crazy. And in that moment, we all just got to see like, there's a huge Gap in communication and understanding of what's expected of me, and if I don't know what's expected of me and how to succeed in within this organization, and you have an idea of what it looks like for me to succeed, and I don't even know what that looks like, we are set up for failure.
2: Hundred (laughs) percent.
1: It was just such this eye opening um, moment and conversation of like that's where we have to start today. Is what does success look like, and is everyone even on board and enrolled in that definition and version? Does everyone understand what's expected and how they're being evaluated so that we're all playing the same game? Have yeah. you found that that like happens uh, as well? And if so, like what, how do you ensure? Cause you think that's like obvious. You would think, okay, everybody knows what's expected and what, yeah. how, how we're going to be, you know, evaluated, but it didn't seem like that was the case.
2: Yeah. And I, I can talk about myself and the early years in my own organization and the, the lens that I saw everything through was, if I can do it, you can do it too. No fucking excuses. Right. So think about how warm that is. Not mm-hmm. at all. Right. So like, if you're not perfect or you're not meeting my standards, you're not doing your job. And it, it was such a simple lens to look at things through that it took me time to grow and really realize that, holy shit, like people have different skill sets, people have different capabilities, and they could be doing the best that they can in that moment. And so when I really learned that and pivoted from looking for people who mimicked me in perfection, to what is excellence for them and how do I create excellence from them, right? It completely changed the whole perspective and narrative because excellence from you could be bringing creativity to the, to the table or creating fun around the office that I may not be able to do. I'm now very clear on what my skill sets are, right? Mm-hmm. I know the difference between me and Jess when we walk into a room Jess is so much fun and joy. Like that is part of her skill set that I will never have, no matter how much I go through X, Y, and Z training. I can elevate it, right? But that's just something that comes to her so naturally and she's so gifted at it. And so being able to realize what are people's skill sets, set them up for success based on those skill sets, it's a it's a leadership responsibility.
1: I think in relationships we just
3: expect people to be just like us and deal with things just like we would. I mean, our maps of the world are so different, all based on our life experience, our training professionally, all of the things we've gone through, the way that we were raised. Like our, Our perception of reality is so different, all based on so many different things that when we come to the table, if we don't... Like really get clarity and get clear on what that vision looks like and how we can execute on that together as a unit in, a, in an organization. Um, and like you said, put people on their in their light and their skill sets and the things that they're gonna thrive in, set them up to win and, and then continue to win. Cause we don't want to show up to something that we're always feeling like we're losing. Like oh, we don't wanna be there. Mm-hmm. So if we're always set up in those different ways, then. Um, you know it, that's definitely like the optimal uh, environment but I that's that's challenging like this is this is definitely something when when you come together and you put together a large group of humans in one place at one time with one end goal and you don't have that that sense of clarity on every person's perspective or the, their map of the world and the way that they're perceiving this this situation um yeah, yeah there, there can be disconnects there can be so many disconnects I think that one of the things that I Um, I'm curious about with you, because if you're, well, one, you've been in leadership roles yourself, building different companies and organizations 2 you've gone in and now had glimpses of, you know, high level, different leadership positions and roles and different things. What are some of the things that you see being like a through line around being a good leader?
2: I don't always show up the same way. I have to be willing to check myself when I don't show up the way I want to, Mm -hmm. right? And so a great leader is humble. They're willing to receive feedback from all areas, right? Ego is the biggest enemy of everyone and everything, whether it's relationships or business, right? If you think you're always the smartest person in the room, A, you're either surrounded by people that aren't helping you grow Or B, you're just trying to boost your own ego by being smart. Fantastic leaders are humble and surround themselves with people who are just smarter than them in different areas. It is not an insecurity for them to have someone that knows way more, right? They empower those people to come to the table with those decisions. And if they're confident about it, great, run with it. So humility is so important. Ego continues to get built. Right. So one of the things leaders end up doing is if they're creating results, they continue to say, validating the behavior that they've, that's gotten them there. So Mm -hmm. if ego is what's gotten them there, right. And the results are there, they're like, fuck that. I don't need to make any changes because it's working, but it's working in one area. Mm -hmm. When it comes to relationships, they're certainly suffering.
3: Winning the battle, but losing the war.
2: Totally. So it's, and Personality types play into this, right? And you and I have had this conversation.
3: That was
1: exactly what I was going to ask you. If you use Um, personality assessments for getting people in the right roles and understanding their perspective and their outlook too.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, certainly there are certain stereotypes that are, that exist right off the bat before I encounter a leader, right? If they're creating results, I know that they're controllers, they're analyzers, Their trust is low and others, their trust in themselves is high, right? Mm -hmm. They do most of the work. There's a lot of control things in place in the business. Um, I am certainly a controller analyzer. And it's easy to see these things in people as you work more and more with people. It it just, if you're like paying attention within five minutes of a conversation, I know someone's personality type. Jess is what we define as a promoter. Like They create joy. Mm People love being around them, but when it comes to certain accountabilities, it's kind of low on on the tier. They tend to be late. They miss deadlines at times. But again, they're just personality traits. It's not who they be. It's just kind of like right hand, left hand. It's just kind of defining that they're right handed, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a left hand. They don't use it for other things or that they can't build the left hand to be as strong as the right hand. It just means that that's where they are today. Typical leaders tend to be more about results, less about um, the vibe, the values, the environment, the feelings part kind of yucky, right? Like, what do I care about feelings? It it's, tends to be an 80-20. The 20%, you do notice the leaders who operate from being humble, like what is the feeling around the office? And sometimes they need to be pushed like, hey, feelings are important, but now we got to balance it out with results, right? Mm -hmm. Like, The culture is great, but now we need to get the results up. So it's finding that balance for yourself. And the area I've been working on for myself personally is relationships. And like, that's where I'm spending more and more time of like, okay, what's going on in your life? Let's talk about your life. What do you want to win? What are the areas of your win that have nothing to do with the business results? That normally I wouldn't want to focus on, but now I'm intentionally putting time and investing in
1: Yeah. I'm like looking forward and hopefully we're in a space where there's a the rise of the empathetic leader that has better balance in terms of being results oriented and driven, but not at the expense of their people and right. their mental health and their being aware of people's experiences. And that was a big thing for so many organizations. It's like, we can't ignore these things anymore. We can't just expect people to show up and perform and, and not expect that their personal lives are also impacting their professional lives. And so I agree, I think there is a balance of being able to like direct, cause I'm one of those people I've had to really work on learning how to trust other people. And let people have more power and authority and like autonomy to go get stuff done without all of my oversight all of the time and the way that I would do it. And I've seen areas for growth for myself in that. And yeah, it's, I think we're all, it's all a spectrum. We're all learning. And I like what you said about it's not that you're not able to use your left hand, it's, but it's a practice skill set and yeah. something, it, it's more about strengths and weaknesses. And learning how to, for me, build a team where I'm weak. Like I intentionally bring people that are strong in those areas to like support me in that way and be able to call me.
2: And I would even bring it closer into this conversation. So the young lady sitting to your right right now, right? I, I encourage you guys to do an exercise between the two of you as to like what you perceive as your strengths, what you perceive as their strengths and their strengths will be what you perceive as your own weaknesses and vice versa. And so you two are very complimentary to each other. And I, I've already read your personalities. It's my first time meeting you, Tori, but yeah, you guys complement each other. That's why this relationship works. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you support each other and leveling up in the area because you desire the strengths that the other person have in yourself. Mm-hmm. And so by having them around you, it pushes you to kind of step into that area for yourself. And I I do the same. I love having people around that have complementary strengths that really support me in stepping into like risk. Risk is something that as an analyzer, I analyze the risk, right? Maybe sometimes too much. You're sitting on the sideline deciding what, you know, what how you should play the game and the game's happening in front of you. And some people are like, forget that. Let's get in the game. We'll learn as we go, right? And I love that. There's something to be admired from that. And so, so surrounding yourself uh, with people with supplementary and complementary uh, skill sets is really helpful Now,
3: I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like having Tori in my proximity has been so beneficial to me to see so many different blind spots that I've had. One of the things that I want to hit on that you were saying, we've been talking a lot about the processes and the analytical things. And I know that you also... Very much, especially with positive movement. You're working with teachers, you're going in and you're helping implement meditation, you're helping them create connection with each other. You're you're going in and doing really, really cool things. The power of getting into alignment in meditation and play and what those things do for the environment. I'm just I'm just curious from your perspective of an analyzer and as somebody that that's probably not the first thing that you're going to go to, but I know that's what you do at home. And I know that's what you do in Positive movement. I know these are the things that really are the building blocks for you and in the way that you show up in your organization. How does that translate in the different environments that you go into?
2: Yeah, fantastic question. So fundamentally, people are people, right? So whether it's a billion-dollar CEO, a million-dollar CEO, or just the average Joe that's working somewhere, we all desire the same things, right? We want to be seen. We want to be heard and we want to be loved. Really, outside of all the material things, we're all fairly similar. Some people naturally gravitate to meditation and spirituality, etc. Others need to be kind of slowly introduced, right? They, if they're an analyzer, they need to see the analytical results as to why it's beneficial before they're willing to test it. Who else is doing it that I respect, right? Um, they there's that research and development phase that goes into play. Some people will say, absolutely. I'm ready to jump in. I'm, I don't know what I'm stepping into, but all of it falls into, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm willing to try it on. I've gone through that phase. I think we've all gone through it with different things in our lives where we had no idea what we were walking into and it ended up being the greatest thing ever. And so we just have to be curious and open And so it's just a conversation of like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, have you ever done a meditation? What's your perception of meditation? Why do you think people meditate? Right. Um, And so it's understanding their perspective and then slowly shifting it to what's possible if they do. What if you had 10% less stress? What if I told you, you could have 20% less stress. What would you do? Oh, I'd be willing to do anything. Right. So now the conversation is okay. Would you be willing to try this for a couple of days? Yes. Okay. Because you just, they bought into what, what the reason is and the why is, and now you're able to implement it. I yeah, love probably that. wouldn't run into the room and say, this is what we're going to do. Right. <laughs> My energy is certainly not going to be yours. So I, I couldn't even like excite them into that. Um, I take a different strategy. I ask like, what would it look like if you had X, Y, and Z?
1: it's a form of cells, right? It's a form of selling them on an idea or a practice that's going to benefit them that they don't know anything about or might not be open to. And one, in serving or asking those questions, one, you're going to see if somebody has a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Are they willing to try something new? Are they coachable? Are they, or do they think they have it figured out and it's work? what they're doing is working for them or they don't have interest in doing anything differently, right? For me, I'm always trying to gauge, Is someone willing to do something differently, especially if what they're doing isn't working and if what they're doing isn't working and you're unwilling to try something new, then that is my friend is like, nothing's going to change, right? You're not available. And there's absolutely no reason in us like continuing this, this relationship or dynamic or whatever, because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink kind of thing. Um, but I love that idea of leading with what's important to that person, yeah. which might be and speaking to the pain of what would your life be like? What would be available to you if you were this, you know, 10% less stressed? And how would you show up? What would you be able to accomplish? Who would you would What would you be able to experience if that wasn't? how you woke up feeling every day. And and really when it comes to like meditation and all of that in, in a company or corporate environment, I think what we're really talking about is, is developing self-awareness, which is mindfulness in general. And it is self-awareness is the number one key indicator of success, period. Um, and totally. so that's really what you're doing. And I think that's so, so, so needed. And even, I think it's easy in the personal development space in the world that we live in to think everybody is has that level of self-awareness and the truth is not everyone does and there's still so many organizations so many people who need processes systems programs in place to invite people into those experiences that they've never had before because unfortunately not we're not getting taught this in our homes you know or in school a lot yeah, of kids, cool. the fact that you're doing that is incredible
2: yeah. Yeah. And I think to add on to that, the the other thing that's important is, you know, if I'm working with someone who's results driven, I set them up to win. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to ask you to do 10 minutes of meditation every day if you've never done meditation. Hey, can we start with one minute a day for the next five days? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to carve out one minute? Right. So like it's building momentum. It's building confidence. is seeing a result that, okay, like I can stay quiet and silent for one minute don't even have anything else just close your eyes just be right and so it's finding out how to create momentum around these things with individuals and what works for them because the idea of meditation right off the bat what do people think like you know they think of a buddhist a buddhist monk sitting there in the forest for an hour or two well really that's not where you start it's like lifting weights you and i don't go to the gym And right off the bat, lift 100-pound weights. Mm -hmm. We start somewhere, and people forget that your brain is the same. It is a muscle. It takes practice to create these habits that create the space and the silence in your mind that comes with meditation to be able to observe and absorb without needing to respond and react. But the willingness needs to be there because it doesn't matter if it's one minute, 30 seconds, et cetera. Mm -hmm. If you feel any element of force, forget about it. Right. Like the idea of being forced to meditate for one minute is the complete opposite of what meditation is supposed to be.
1: If you could get leaders to do one thing differently to, 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 or to implement, to try one thing within their organization, within their own life, like to see better results. Is there anything that you what would what would that one thing be?
2: I, I would say, you, you know, feedback being available to receive feedback um, because all the rest falls into that same process. Because if you're willing to receive feedback, then you're willing to make changes because you receive the feedback. So everything else kind of rolls out from that. Feedback is tough. None of us like to be you know, carved in some way unless we're open to feedback. And being open to feedback could be conscious and like, all right, on Fridays is when my doors is open for people to come in and provide feedback, right? It's very intentional. Or once a month is when I'm open for feedback and you set yourself in the state of mind of, all right, I'm listening for what's not working from their perspective so that I can grow and be a better leader. It's all a game, right? It's creating a game that sets you up for success.
1: I love that you said making it intentional because it allows you get into the mindset and the frame of being able to receive because I think a lot of times if we are we do take feedback or we ask for feedback um, or someone gives it to us we're not in the mindset of intentionally taking that like knowing that this isn't personal this is just information this is just something that I can learn from and grow from and sometimes in the moment where when someone's giving us feedback we, we we like get all defensive or we take it super personally and we get hurt or, and then we act out in all these different ways. So I love that you said, just like put yourself in the mode once a week or once a month or whatever to intentionally like welcome that. And with that, like hopefully have that frame of reference that this is just a learning and growing opportunity. Cause if we're not doing that, ultimately, like I think we're just missing out on so much opportunity for, for, for growth um, personally. Yeah, there's,
2: there's certainly a time and place for everything, right? Like, And creating that time and space so that people know there's an opportunity, right, yeah. also can take the tension and stress away from a possible altercation because they know they will have a chance to provide you feedback at some point, right? And so that, that plays a part as well.
3: Um, Can you just share briefly, I walk around the streets of the world wearing your uh, Be a Good Human bracelets. They're my favorite things ever. And I just want to share briefly what Positive Movement is up to. Uh, If you could just tell everybody really quick.
2: Yeah, sure. So Positive Movement Foundation is a nonprofit we started here in San Diego, and our focus is serving at-risk and underserved children and youth um so we started last year with a middle school here in San Diego that has one of the highest homeless populations here in in the district and so we've been very conscious about how do we provide resources outside of just so it's a two year commitment minimum to the school it's not a here you go see you later type of thing it's like how do we build culture over time how do we create trust how do we build their confidence teach them things over time As opposed to a quick band-aid, see you later, make ourselves feel good, right? Uh, It's tougher conversations when you really get to know people and what's working and what's not working. So Bell Middle School, we're in our second year uh, this year. We're going to add two more schools this year. uh, And we really focus on things that aren't being taught. So uh, mindfulness meditation. Um, we're going to have after-school clubs. Uh, it's all being constructed and this is the beauty of like the feedback loop. Right. So we went in thinking we wanted to do certain things and we realized that we actually needed the feedback of the teachers as well as to like, Hey, what we, what should we do? And so that was humbling for us to be like, okay, the ship's moving this way. Now we need to pivot because this is what they see. They're the feet on the ground. Uh, and it's been, really, really cool. Just had our first teacher event the day they went back to school. And we had, I think 39 of the 40 teachers present, you know, participating in scavenger hunts all around the campus for them to like, kind of get to know each other and find things and discover the campus because there's new teachers and old teachers. And like, how do you get them to kind of get to know each other? Right. And then meditation for some who'd never done it. It was like a 10 minute meditation of like, take you back through your journey through school? Who is the teacher that impacted you? How can you show up in that way for the students in your classroom today? And really having them feel the emotions and the feels that came up with like being seen or that teacher that made you feel special or, you know, so on and so forth. So like seeing them transform from the beginning of Three-hour process to the end, and then they got to each. They each got a five hundred-dollar shopping wish list for their classrooms at the end of that. To like, we'll buy whatever you guys want, so long as it's valuable and adds value to the students for your classrooms, and so on and so forth. So it's it's really cool to know what we can do, and we created the organization. I've got a phenomenal board. Everyone's none of us are paid. It's one hundred percent goes to the cause you know, there is no board salaries, there is no salaries at all. It was, how do we make immediate change, make a difference without having to go through red tape? Or if we see a cause or a a reason that we can provide benefit, and it's outside of our mission, we don't have to go to someone else and ask. It's just, hey, this is an immediate need, let's make it happen. We're pretty excited. It's certainly growing. I just got a text that, you know, the pizzas for the teachers got delivered. So we do a once a month teacher lunch and it's a chance for them to kind of get to know each other. And it's, you know, insane to hear that. Like some of them have been working for six, seven years together and had no idea that like they each have X number of kids or that they're divorced or like they went to they, They've never been outside the country. So it's, you know, asking certain questions to evoke interest and curiosity in who this other person is besides another faculty that's walking down the hallway.
3: That's incredible. My friend, I just want to acknowledge you for a second because the the amount of time and energy that you put into this project, I get to see it from afar and I've watched it from afar, not actually knowing that you guys aren't getting paid a penny on this. I see the the team of people you rally to go into these different things and what you're doing consistently, you know, just by watching your social media. So I can't even imagine what's going on behind the scenes. That's not on social that you're doing. So thank you for making that impact on this planet. And you don't even know the ripple effect. And that's, what's so beautiful about this is that you could support one of those teachers to, actually sit and, and think to themselves, how were they seen and loved and supported and all of those things by their favorite teacher growing up, then put them in that frame to show up in that way for those students. And that student could have been one that would not have you know, lived past another week if they hadn't had that love and support from that, that person, or they wouldn't have gone and, and chosen to live their best life and go become a professional athlete or something because they had somebody actually believe in them versus not believe in them and show oh. up in that day. So the the fact that you have, you guys have assembled and, and you being the leader of that have assembled a group of human beings to go in and make quick lasting you know lasting change but uh, but immediate like what can we do now to make change without having to go through all the nonsense like that is so 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 cool so i just want i want to acknowledge you for a second my Thank friend you. and i want to leave it on that unless you have some word that you would like to share
2: I, I i do want to say it it takes a community to do this we have so many local restaurants that donate food for the teachers uh, okay. We have so many volunteers, we have so many donors, you know, like generous friends and just strangers that, you know, it is not just us, it really takes a community, and it takes uh, so many people to make this happen. So I, I do want to acknowledge them, it is totally a week, um, And that's the beauty of like, you know, when you get a ball rolling, people jump in and support in so many ways we never envisioned. Uh, I mean, literally these restaurants are donating food for 60, 70 people in the middle of their prime lunch hour. Uh, It's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. And I want to just encourage this community, which... I know, love to partner with me around getting behind causes that we believe in and that we're excited about and that are making a positive impact on this planet and on uh, the younger generation. So can you tell people if they're interested in learning more about the Positive Movement Foundation, how they can get involved, if you need volunteers, if they can make donations, how can people learn more?
2: Absolutely. So our website is thepositivemovement.org. And we're currently San Diego-based. The long-term vision is to be able to take our processes into other cities and states and have the local uh, community kind of implement them. But we love to have volunteers. We have fun Fridays once a month for all the students. There's DJs, there's food, there's music, dance competitions. We've had like local athletic teams come out, San Diego Chargers come out. If you have a resource or a company that's looking to volunteer donate, all about it. You know, we had acupuncture for the teachers. It was all donated by a dear friend of ours, Monica. She'd take the whole day off of work and come refuse to get paid from us. And she did uh, acupuncture for the teachers all day, multiple times. Cool. So- I'd love to
1: come lead them through like a breathwork session or something. hundred
2: percent. We yeah. would love that.
1: Cool. Well, cool. you guys go check out um, what they're doing at the Positive Movement Foundation. And I just want to say- and thank you. Thank you for your impact and your, your influence, what you're doing in the world, and for, for having a dope conversation with us about taking responsibility about how to assess um, and, and survey kind of what's working, what's not working in our lives and our businesses, and how do we, we really create and implement processes and structures that are going to help us to optimize our performance at every level. You're doing such a fantastic job, and I just want to say thank you for being here, my friend.
2: It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Till next time you guys go be coachable and um, follow us on social. We are on Instagram, the coachable podcast. It's our new, um, it's our new page. Go check us out. Make sure you give us a follow and tag us. If you enjoyed the show, we'll see you next week on the coachable podcast.